Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church featuring Pastor Glenn Smith. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, Pastor Glenn. We've been walking through um, a series called The Story, where we have gone from Genesis in the very beginning, and we're going to hit off, or ended at Revelation. And uh, we're not there yet, but next, next week, we're going to actually finish up the Old Testament um, and move into the New Testament uh, after uh, Labor Day. So we're glad to be able to do that. I want to encourage you not to be weary and well-doing. Um, continue to read the chapter in the book that we have given you um, called The Story. Don't, don't just kind of, you know, think, I don't need that now or whatever, and let the newness or, or the um, benefit kind of bypass you, okay? So I want to encourage you to read that, read the chapter before you come to church. We typically try to send out an email um, to let you know what chapter to read, if we're taking a pause, and so on and so forth, so that you can know what's going on here at Metro Believers Church. Um, also, during this series of the story, we've been encouraging people to share their story. We started out with God's story, then we've been looking at our story, and now we're looking at my story. I just saw a couple of t-shirts around here. John's got one on. Yeah, our story, my story, God's story. I know that uh, Jeremy's got one on back there. I saw Tom with one on a little while ago. Um, that's what this is all about. It's, it's God's story, our story, and my story. And during this time, we've been asking you to share your story. And it's been awesome, hasn't it? Come on, church. It's been awesome, hasn't it? To hear the stories of the individual people that have come up to share and shared how God has intervened in their life and the redemptive arm of God in each person's life. And it's been awesome to hear. And so we still do have a few uh, spots available in October, November as we conclude the series. Um, so if you haven't signed up yet, um, you're welcome to do so at the Info Center um, so that we can hear your story as well. There's several of you I'm looking at right now that I, I need to hear your story. You got it? Okay, and I'd love to hear it, so I'd love to have you go sign up, some of you millennials, you know what I'm talking about, because I know you've got an incredible story, I've heard several of yours personally, and I'd love to have the congregation hear it as well. So today, today we have another person coming up from our church to give their story, and I want to welcome Julina Hauser, and uh, let's give her a hand as she comes. And I'll get this going for you right here. There we go. And you can set your stuff right there. I'll get out of the way. And I'll give you this. Oh, I better watch that. Good morning. Um, so I was raised in an amazing, loving Christian home in Florida. We went to a traditional Baptist church every weekend when we were home. We sang from a hymnal and had to dress up and sit still and quiet. It just lacked a full mind, body, and spirit connection. I met my husband, Will, when I was 15 years old. Here comes walking into my volunteer club this tall, handsome drink of water with three-inch spiked blue hair, earrings, vegetarian, liberal, not religious senior. But he has a huge, soft heart and has always supported me in my faith. 
Will graduated and went to FSU a few hours away. We were able to maintain our long-distance relationship for the two years, but things got pretty dark for me. I became very depressed with suicidal thoughts. Things started getting better when I dual enrolled in college so that I could graduate high school early. When we moved away from our hometown, my faith began to weaken. We had a great group of friends, but no one in our lives had encouraged my faith. In this time, we had two beautiful children, Emmalina and William. After three years of Will teaching at the university, he realized he just lacked a happiness and a sense of fulfillment in his career. So I supported him in his search for a new job, not realizing it would land me in Wisconsin. When he told me he was applying for a job in Wisconsin, I said, I'm not going. Well, he got an interview. Again, I told him, I'm not going. The next weekend, we went back to my, visit my parents and went to the new upbeat church. The service started with pictures of this beautiful vacation my pastor went on to, you guessed it, Wisconsin. <laughs> the sermon that day was all about love, marriage, compromise, and sacrifice. Okay, Lord, I'm listening. I called my pastor to discuss this huge emotional crisis I was having. He read Jeremiah 29 to me. Now I'm phrasing, but build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Increase in number there. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. He also read 1 Peter 3.1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Pastor Mark told me, do not go into this lightheartedly. No one is taking anything away from you. You are willingly giving it up. So after eight months of being on the job search, he accepted the interview on the 4th and officially accepted the offer on the 10th. We worked our last two weeks, packed the entire house, cleaned it, prepped it for the market, found a new house, new schools, threw a going away party, and hit the road 16 days later. Pastor Mark gave me a list of churches in the Madison area, and there was NBC. Our second night here in Wisconsin, we met a family at a restaurant and got talking. They invited us to church with them that weekend. For the first time ever in my life, I attended Bible study. God has been so good to me, I wasn't going to stop listening now. We arrived at NBC on September 16th, and I thank God every day for this church and its awesome congregation. All the verses that Pastor Mark had read me were coming true. We were increasing in number through friends, planting roots, and increasing in prosperity and peace. Since then, Will has brought me to church every weekend I'm off of work, attended a few Bible studies with me, been overheard telling the kids to pray about it and referencing God's awesome power. My daughter went from 90% of her journal entries being sad and heavy-hearted to 98% happy and satisfied, even writing, I am happy because I am with God. After a few months, I finally decided to fully allow God to direct me. I'm in an open field, Lord. Lead me in the direction you want me to go. We recently got back from our three-week visit to Florida to visit family. All was well with my soul. I was satisfied and happy, and I knew that I was ready to return to, this, to Wisconsin and confident I could do this Wisconsin thing. <laughs> Four days after getting back, I was driving through the neighborhood that I love, and I've always said, if we were to stay here, this is the neighborhood I would want to live. 
I gave Will this ridiculous dream house list that almost seemed impossible to find. Well, guess what? There was a for sale sign. I took a photo of the sign and went on, sent it to Will and went on my way. Well, the house was everything on my list. Not only that, but it was a remodel. My parents are getting divorced after 38 years of marriage, and I've been struggling with it, but not as much as my father, who is actually a contractor looking for a few months' escape, maybe even to Wisconsin. We came to church that day after we put in an offer, and we found out we were fourth in line for the home. I was beginning to get discouraged, and because I really wanted the house. The next song we sang at church that was, was Nothing's Impossible. The next song was I Surrender All. Tears formed in my eyes, and I was overcome by goosebumps. Will even felt it, too. Okay, Lord, we're listening. I was shown three messages that day that directed me to trust God and to let him be in control. So I surrendered all my worry to him and agreed to let him just continue to guide me. That night, we found out we were moved to the backup offer. After finding out some more information about the house, we decided to not aggressively pursue it. Well, God had another plan for us. We came to church that next weekend for Lance's sermon about Haggai. Give careful thought to your ways, go up the mountain, collect the timber, build my home so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. Well, did I mention this home is a log cabin built on the side of a mountain with the lumber from the lot that they bought the property? Psalms 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The chapter also had Jeremiah 29 verse. NBC has guided me and helped me grow in my faith and trust in God, but also my ability to rely on friends for emotional support and to ask for prayer when I need it. I was accepted on day one, and no one judged my lack of biblical scripture. I've grown so much in my faith and my ability to follow God, and I am now working on openly giving God credit for all that he has done in my life, because everything in my life it comes from him. I truly believe now more than ever that if you truly surrender to God's plans, he will guide you in the direction to go. Oh, and by the way, on Friday we got a call. We got the house. <laughs> Can't wait to have dinner at that house. Just saying, you know, just saying. So, uh, isn't it awesome to hear from other people what God's done? I just love this stuff, man. Uh, thanks, you guys, for just being here and being a part of our family. We love you guys. Will, you're awesome, dude. Uh, appreciate you so much. Um, and so, once again, we'd love to hear from some of you um, if you'd like to sign up to give that. Now, she was very nervous this morning. Um, probably the last several days. Um, and, and, you know, I understand that. It's tough to get up and, and talk in front of a lot of people. Um, so, but at any rate, you can still get through that. Trust the Lord to help you actually overcome that fear um, and be able to share your, your story. He deserves the credit. Amen? Amen? He deserves the credit. Hey, if you don't have one of our outlines that came in our guest packet today, please lift up your hand and our ushers will get you one. Um, this, uh, this will help you kind of stay on track as I walk through the message today. So today, we're actually going to take a break from the story. As I said, um, next week, we'll finish up the story of the Old Testament. 
and bump into the New Testament. It's going to be great. Um, but I wanted to share something as I was praying about this. We have a one-week gap in last week and next week. I wanted to share something that I think um, all of us can relate to, to some degree in our lives. So I want to talk about some of the attitudes um, that we embrace in life as believers. You know, we, we come to Christ, we receive the Lord, we, we acknowledge what he has done for us on the cross, we become a new creation in Christ. And then, then we, we sort of walk it out, right? We sort of learn how this whole thing works and how, you know, we understand God's love and his compassion and his plan for us. Sometimes we settle into things that um, are not healthy. They're not, they're not the best for us. They don't, they don't enhance our Christianity. They actually, you know, take away from our Christianity. And so I want to talk about the attitudes. Everyone say attitudes. Let's talk about the attitudes that we embrace um, in life as believers. And, and how many of you know our attitudes can play such a vital role in our everyday life? I mean... They can either make us or break us. They, our attitudes, you know, you've heard me talk about our attitudes in the past, but our attitudes, you know, really determine our altitude or how high we can go, you know, in Christ and how we soar with him and enjoy his presence. And it's all, it's all tied to our attitudes. And, you know, we can, we can get up in the morning, you know, on the wrong side of the bed and have this funk going on all day and just have a negative, nasty, bad attitude. Can anyone relate? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Or, or am I preaching to the wrong crowd this morning? Of course we can relate. All of us can. And so uh, I, when we talk about our attitudes, obviously I could go in a ton of different directions about various aspects of our attitude. Um, but today I want to I sort of key in um, to the, some of the dangers of bitterness and resentment. And I sense in my heart as I've been praying about it, for the last three weeks, actually, that this is the direction that the Lord wanted me to go um, to deal with some of our stinking thinking, some of our, our bad attitudes. And um, I just feel like they're, the enemy, enemy wants us to buy into a trap. Everyone say trap. Let me follow up there. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the enemy wants us to buy into a trap. And um, I've entitled this message, The Bitterness Trap. Everyone say The Bitterness Trap. Yeah, The Bitterness Trap. I just want you to think about that as it rolls off your tongue. Say it one more time, The Bitterness Trap. Just think about the, those three words, The Bitterness Trap. It's a, it's a trap that the enemy wants to set. Um, I don't know if you've ever read this verse in your Bibles, but in John 10.10 it says um, that the thief, referring to who? The devil, the enemy, the thief, comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have, what? Life and have it abundantly. Now notice the enemy's goal in our lives. And how many of you know there's an enemy? There, there's, a, there's, a, there's an enemy that's trying to take you out. As soon as you surrendered your life to Christ, there was a big red target placed on your back. The enemy wants to just take you out. He wants to, he wants to, you know, destroy your life, actually. He wants to kill you and destroy you and, and steal from you. And the enemy, this is what I found out, the enemy, 
The enemy actually is setting traps for our lives. He's setting up traps for us to, you know, sort of fall into to destroy our lives by the, the lies. I get, I get this all the time, the lies that, that the enemy throws at us of bitterness and resentment, to buy into it. In other words, to just accept it as, as normal life. That's just the way we live. That's just life. That's just, we all do it. No big deal. It's just, you know, I know I'm bitter about this and bitter about that, and I know I'm resentful about this and resentful about that, but hey, praise the Lord anyway, <laughs> you know. And so uh, I, I believe that, that, you know, he wants you, the enemy wants you to approach life with the attitude that says it's no big deal, you know, it's, and just sort of, you know, let it go and let it build in our lives, this whole bitterness and resentment thing. And um, all the while, he's luring us into his traps to destroy our life and our relationships and to minimize and marginalize our effectiveness as Christians. Did you know that? He, want, he wants to minimize and marginalize our lives as believers, as Christians. You know, instead of being on fire for God and, and being excited about your faith, like Julina was talking about, uh, you, you know, you're just kind of, you know, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. You're just sort of, you know, just chilling, not even thinking about God much, and certainly not sharing your faith with anybody. You're not excited about, you know, growing in your faith and going to church and making great, great relationships with other believers. You know, you're just kind of, just kind of, you know, dry. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And you, you're bitter, and you have this resentment thing going on the inside of you, and he wants to do that to your life. And if you think about, you know, the bitterness trap, if you think about the nature of a trap, then it, you have to realize that it's disguised so that the prey, which would be you and I, is unaware of the trap that's set before us until it's too late. Yeah. I mean, you've got big traps and little traps. You've got, you know, you've got, like, for example, a mouse trap, you know. Um, you've got that little thing that, that everyone sets back, you know, they, everybody's tried to come up with new mouse tra traps, but the basic thing is right there. It's that mouse trap. And, and when you have mice around, you want to set up, you know, a mouse trap to get rid of them, right? Well, the enemy wants to get rid of you. Understand that today, that you have an enemy. The Bible talks about that. Be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, goes around as a roaring lion seeking someone to what? To destroy or devour. So, yeah, that, that little mousetrap is just sort of a, uh, an illustration or an example of traps that get set that are not, you know, they're, they're out there. And, you know, you think of a little mouse. I've caught a lot of mice in my day. Think of that little mouse that, you know, smelled something in the air, you know, and uh, decided to follow that smell and decided to stick his nose in, you know, to the peanut butter or the cheese or whatever you put in that trap and enjoy a little snack and it all seems good until the trap goes off, right? And then it's over. 
for the most part. You'll sometimes get one that squeals half the night. Because <laughs> the trap didn't kill them. <laughs> um, but, but then you got these bigger traps. This, you know, I used to do a fair amount of trapping in my days. And uh, th this, this little trap right here is called a conibear trap. And I, I used to, I used to uh, trap rabbits, all right? Back in the day, back in the 70s, that's the 1970s for you that don't know what that is. Um, yeah. And so I used to put these conibear traps, basically, you know, that's, that's what they're called, the conibear trap, style of trapping. And I put those over the holes of the, of the, the, the rabbits, and um, I put them in the trails where the rabbits would go. Vicki knows. She was with me, and we'd, we'd trap these rabbits, and they, I'd sell them to the, to the guys on the assembly line at the, at the uh, General Motors plant for five bucks a piece, you know. Now, it didn't sound like a whole lot of money right now, but back in 1976 and 77, that was pretty good money for just a side gig, you know catch five, six, seven, eight a day, you know, take them to the plant and make some money. But here's the deal. The enemy, the enemy wants to set up these traps for us. And, and some of them are, you know, if you, if you, if you and I, I, I know I'm getting out of the camera right now for you live stream folks, but if you and I, you know, were to have a trap, like a mouse trap go off on us, hey, little owie, but no big deal, right? Right? But, but if you caught, caught in one of these conibear traps, you know, and, and, and the enemy knows, you know, your weaknesses, right? He knows your weaknesses, and he wants, to, he wants to mess you up. He wants to do whatever it takes. He wants to set the kind of trap um, designed specifically for your weakness, say. And so if you get in one of these traps, you know, you can find out that they're a little bit, they're a little bit more intense than a mouse trap, right? Um, these, these will change your day. Whoops. Not going off. Not going off. All right. <laughs> How many of you don't want that on your hand? Huh? Yeah, I took out this stick, right? <laughs> so here's the deal. Today's title is called what? The bitterness trap. I want to, it's my hope, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, to help you avoid getting caught in a trap, especially in this area called bitterness and resentment. Not only, not only is bitterness and resentment designed to ultimately kill and destroy you, in the meantime, until that all happens, it causes you to stink you know, by holding on to hurts and disappointments from the past. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and watch this video and you'll see what I'm talking about. Hey, hey girl, how's it going? Bad, look at all this garbage. Yeah, what's going on with that? Why don't you just get rid of it? Get rid of it? I can't just get rid of it. Here, look at this. Oh, what is that stench? That's from when my teacher gave me detention for talking too much in class. I was just trying to help out the kid next to me. It really stinks. And look at this. Okay, what is that? That is from when Nancy pushed me down in the mud puddle. But didn't that happen like five years ago? Well, yeah, but I've been holding on to it this whole time. Here, smell this. Oh, what is that smell? 
that is the smell of defeat from when Johnny beat me in the science fair with a project that his dad made for him. He cheated. I made the volcano all by myself, and I didn't win. Okay, I deserved okay. it. Calm down, calm down, calm down. So let me let me make sure I understand. All, all of these people, anytime somebody has hurt you or insulted you or cheated you, you're just carrying that garbage around with you? Look, I'm not as lucky as you. You've never had anything done bad to you. Yes, I have. Well, then where's all your garbage? I let go of it. I got rid of it. How do you just get rid of it? How do you not get rid of it? I mean, think about it. When you, when you smell the stench of what Nancy did to you, how does that make you feel? I don't know. Gross? Angry? How do you think it makes Nancy feel? Well, that doesn't make any sense. She doesn't even know I have any of this stuff. She isn't affected by it. Exactly. It's not like you're getting even with her or any of these other people for all these horrible things that they've done to you. I mean, all this garbage, you're, you're dragging it around with you, you're touching it, you're looking at it, you're smelling it, you're sharing it with people. All it's doing is hurting you. No one else even knows about it. You, you gotta get rid of it, you gotta let it go. Cause you know what? What? Well, all this, all this garbage, I'm not trying to like be mean or whatever, but all this garbage, you're starting to smell like it. Girl, you have got to let it go. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. You, sometimes we don't even realize, you know, how much bitterness and resentment has slipped in and until you start to smell, until you start to stink. Sometimes we get the stank on us, you know what I'm saying? We get that stank on us, and we don't, don't even realize it, and people around us can smell the stank, right? So, um, as I said before, Vicki and I have a, a camper that we bought a couple years ago, and we found a, a, a seasonal site to place it on, so we would, didn't have to take it somewhere every time we wanted to go camping. We could just set it up, have it all set up, and go up there and just enjoy it. And uh, it has holding tanks. It has, you know, a sewer system. It has a toilet and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, you, when you do your business, um, you, you pull the lever and, you, you know, you let it go down and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, sometimes, sometimes um, it starts to really stink. And, and no matter, you know, you dump it, you empty it, you know, it, and, and it still stinks. And uh, so sometimes we have to purge it. Everyone say purge it. Yeah, sometimes you have to purge it. That means you hook up hoses from both side, or from the side. The water rushes in and purges it. Sometimes we put bleach in it, you know, just to get the stank out because it really, really stinks because of, you know, whatever. And so, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so here's the deal is sometimes, sometimes we don't even realize it. And all of a sudden we start smelling something and we realize, we got some stink going on, you know, we, we need to do something here. Well, this week, as I was praying about this message, I felt like I needed to purge my tank uh, in my heart. You know, I felt like, you know what, I didn't realize it, um, but I've been, I, I, there's some stuff there that I didn't realize was there, and I've got some bitterness, you know, and some resentment sort of hanging on in the corners of my heart, and... Um, I'm starting to stink a little bit, you know, and so I had to purge, I had to, I had to hook up the hoses and, you know, grab some bleach in my heart and uh, kind of get the stink off, 
And, and so I, my, my, my hope today, actually, for us, all of us, for you and for me, is that we would, first of all, be willing to take out the trash, like the video said. And second, that we'd be willing to pur let the Holy Spirit purge our tanks so that we can, we can get rid of some of the stink that we, uh, that we find ourselves in. And so let's just define what we're talking about real quick. Um, the word bitterness, we're talking about bitterness and resentment. The word bitterness means sourness. Um, a sourness of the soul we'll use for our, our message today. It's a sourness of the soul. Think about that. You know, everyone give me your, your best sour puss face. Let me see your face, okay? Like you're really sour, like it's, you know, come on, help me here. Some of you are doing it, some of you are not. I'm going to come over there. All right, all right, good, good, good. So bitterness just simply means sourness. And I'm going to say that when we're talking about our heart, we're talking about sourness of the soul. It's, um, it's exhibiting intense, check this out, animosity marked by cynicism and rancor. And I could go into a whole message on just those last two words, cynicism and rancor. I mean, you know people that, that all of us, you know, they were so excited about their faith. They were, they were in love with Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, you know, over time, they, they start to get cynical and skeptical and bitter. And it's just, ew. Well, some of the synonyms of this particular word is sourness and animosity and hostility and indignation. Those are words, that's what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about bitterness. And so hopefully some of those words help identify you. When you read them or hear them, all of a sudden they go, oh yeah, okay, I remember this. Um, the next word is resentment, resentment. And the definition of that is a feeling of indignant displeasure or persistent ill will towards someone regarded as wrong, insult, or injury. In other words, something they did to you, all right? Um, the synonyms for that is anger, it's hatred, flip onto the screen, there you go, anger and hatred and antipathy. Those are all words that, that sort of help you understand better that word called resentment. Now, does that sound like the way any of us feel about anyone? today? Perhaps so. I think, I think if you were honest, you would say, yeah, I, I've probably got some of that going on on the inside of my heart. Maybe, my heart. Maybe I need to purge the tanks. And so the fruit, I mean, everything has fruit attached to it, but the fruit of bitterness and resentment is unforgiveness. It's a critical spirit. It's broken relationships. It it causes us to hold grudges and treat people unkindly. It, it has a paralyzing effect. Um, at best and at worst, it can cause us to be so toxic, so mean, and so angry that no one wants to be around us except people just like you. It's just, just the way it is. That's bitterness and resentment. Needless to say, it's not a good way to live, right? How many of you think that's not a good way to live? Anybody? You all with me here? All right, so bitterness and resentment is a horrible thing, and it will eat you alive and poison your relationships. And when life is finished, you'll be lonely, miserable, and um, just flat re regretting the way you lived your life. So here's the deal. Someone once said to me, 
Glenn, live your life in such a way that people don't have to lie at your funeral. You know, I mean, how many of you know people are going to always say something good at your funeral, even if you are a jerk? You know, they just, they, they dig down. Sometimes they'll even lie, you know. Oh, he was such a great person, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, but, but they have to come up with sometimes lying to, to, to explain who you were. So, you know, live your life in such a way that people don't have to lie about your, you know, at your funeral. And here's what I've learned over the years. When life throws you difficulties, and how many of you know it does, and disappointments, you have two choices. Here you go. You can fill in the blank here. You can either get bitter or you can get what? Better. A choice is yours. It's, it's, life is all about choices. Always remember that. Life is always about choices. It's all about choices. The choice is yours. Deuteronomy chapter 30, I don't think it's in your notes, but it'll show up on the screen. Verse 19, here's what it says. I call heaven and earth together as a witness. This is God speaking. Against you today, I have set before you what? Come on, help me now. I've set before you what? Life and, and blessing and curse. Okay? So God's saying, here's the deal. I, I've got, I'm going to set before you, you know, behind door number one. You know, I'm going to set before you, you know, life and death uh, and blessing and cursing. I should say one is life and blessing and two, door number two is um, is death and cursing. Therefore, what does he say? Choose what? Choose what? Choose life. That you and your offspring or children might live. Okay? Notice who does the choosing here. Does God? No. Who does the choosing? We do. We choose the kind of life we're going to live. And, and we choose not to get caught in a trap. We choose, you know, not to be bitter and filled with resentment. We choose that life. It's our choice. Let's find out what the, what the Bible has to say about bitterness. Check this out. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no what? Bitter root grows up to cause trouble. Everyone say cause trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got enough trouble with in my life. I've got enough things that I have to deal with that go sideways. I don't need to be adding to it. <laughs> so see to it that you don't let this bitter root grow up in your life and cause it to cause you trouble and defile many. In other words, people around you. When you get bitter, it affects not only you, but others in your life. Please understand that. It's... It's not just you it affects, it's the people around you. James talks about it as well, chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by the good deed, by his good life, by the deeds he's done in humility that comes from wisdom. And if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. In other words, it's not a good thing. It's not something to be proud of. Hello, Ephesians 4.31, another idea about bitterness. Get rid of what? All bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate 
to one another, forgiving each other just like Christ has forgiven you. Amen? That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to live our lives and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving. Everyone say forgiving. I believe that forgiven people ought to be forgiving. We've been forgiven much. We should forgive much. So let's talk about this for the next few minutes I've got. How to get bitter or how to get better and not bitter in your lives. First of all, there's 10 things here, and I'll just sort of walk through them pretty quickly. Uh, first thing is keep your heart clean. got to keep your heart clean, just like my holding tanks. you got to keep your life clean. You gotta, you've got to do what you have to do to, to purge your tanks. You, you can't let your heart get full of garbage. You know, you start to stink like it. And, and you have to listen, listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 4, my son, that's us, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to a man's whole body. Above all, do what? Guard your heart. Above all, guard your heart. Why? Because it's the wellspring or the source of your life. Listen, folks, this is an important thing. You, you can get a hard heart. You can get a cold heart. You can have a bitter heart. Or you can have a a loving, compassionate, kind heart. You need to keep your heart clean. Like I said, I had, to, I had to purge my tanks this past week. I had to just, you know, sort of pray through some stuff, and, and re, I was remembering some of the things that have happened along the way in the last few years, and, you know, how I've let that in, and, you know, sort of stews and simmers. And, you know, when something happens or someone says something, I'll find myself being short about that because there's something deeper on the inside. And responding to in a way that is like, well, where'd that come from to the other person? How many of you know what I'm talking about? And it's all tied to that bitterness or resentment that I let creep in because of hurts and disappointments. Number two, be unoffendable. Just be unoffendable. Learn, learn, you know, decide ahead of time when you get up in the morning, God, today I'm going to be unoffendable. I'm, I'm going to trust you for your grace and your power and your ability, so I'll, I'll be unoffendable. When people do things to me, I, it's going to be like water off a duck's back, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of whatever, you know, I'm not going to get hurt here. I'm not going to take that in. I'm not going to let that, you know, that dart, you know, take hold. I'm just going to be unoffendable, and I, I promise you, if you'll do that in the morning and just say it out loud. Say, God, I choose to be unoffendable today. Your day will go a whole lot better. Try it. Be unoffendable. And 1 Corinthians talks about what love looks like. And if you're going to be unoffendable, you have to understand what this passage is about and embrace it. The whole love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and it never fails. Right? So be unoffendable. Number three, number three, don't rehearse the offense. 
Don't rehearse the offense. Reverse it. Don't, don't, you know, you got hurt. Somebody said something. Somebody did something at work or at church or wherever in your family. Don't rehearse it. What do I mean by that? Don't replay it over and over and over again. You know, don't, don't think about it. Because I promise you, every time you replay it, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. You know, it went from one level to a whole nother level. Because you keep rehearsing it. You keep going over it. You keep thinking about how horrible that was. And they, they shouldn't have ever said that or done that. And who do they think they are? And, you know, I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to get even. And all that kind of stuff, right? Don't do it. Don't go there. Don't rehearse it. Reverse it. Number four, don't buy into the, to the victim mentality. Don't let it get, affect you to the point where you think, I'm such a victim here. Don't, no, you're not a victim. You're a victor. Amen? You're a vic, choose a victor's mentality, not a victim's mentality. The choice is yours. Life or death, blessing and cursing. The choice is yours. Choose a victor's mentality. Number five, don't keep score. Don't, don't keep a record of wrong. First Corinthians said, love's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Keeps no record of wrongs. So don't keep score. Don't, don't keep adding to the list of this particular person and how many times they've said that or done that or been that. It'll only serve to lead you. These are things that will lead you into the trap. I'm not talking about a mousetrap here. I'm talking about a conner bear. Number six, reverse, uh, resist jealousy. Resist jealousy. Jealousy, this is a luxury that you and I cannot afford. Or we get jealous over other people's success and wins. It's, uh, if you can't rejoice at someone else's you know, victory or win, something's going on in your heart. Did you hear me? Someone else gets blessed with a promotion or perhaps a windfall inheritance or something. And you can't rejoice at that and you just think they don't deserve it. <laughs> you know how we are. They don't deserve it. Cynical and skeptical and have a nasty attitude about it. Then something's going on in your heart. Don't, don't buy into that whole idea of jealousy. There's a scripture there you can read. Uh, for the sake of time, I'll just continue. Number seven, always take the high road. Always take the high road. Make the first move. Don't wait for others to reciprocate. Just do it, and you'll be glad you did. First John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. You don't have to do what people deserve. Amen? You know, there's so many things that people just don't deserve. Many of you know my wife is from another country, born and raised in South America, Chile, and uh, um, she moved to the United States when she was 14, and uh, God just imported her just for me, that's how much he loves me, um, uh, and, or feel sorry for me, <laughs> and uh, she, uh, when she left, after she got to the United States, um, had gotten word that her father had been killed in some sort of an accident, Dan. Um, her father had left the family, her and her mother, when you were how old? Two, three years old? Yeah, somewhere in there. And, you know, so he, he was never around, and then she found out that he was dead. 
And, uh, and so we, she lived her whole life. We met, married, 1989. Now, fast forward the tape. I'm not going to tell you how old she is, but, you know, she was up there. And uh, <laughs> so am I. What's that got to do with Jeff? <laughs> Let's not get into that right now. So one, one night or day, we're sitting at the house in Marshfield, Wisconsin, and we get uh, word from her cousin. I won't tell you all the details. It takes too long. But we get word from a cousin who lives in, uh, um, in New Mexico, Tucson. No, yeah, right, Tucson. Yeah, Arizona. <laughs> Sorry. Tucson. Um, and that her father was alive. How many of that would mess with you? So first of all, you have a father who doesn't want to be with you. Second, you hear he's dead, which is good riddance, right? Because he didn't want to be with you in the first place. And so now you're, now you're faced with the fact that now he's alive. Now, we decided that we were going to figure out, take all of our savings and jump on a plane and travel to where he was so that she could meet him. And a lot of people at that time, this was now 1989-ish, right, um, that a lot of people looked at us and said, why? why? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? He, you know, you don't, you don't need to spend all your money and, you know, drain your savings account to go over and see a guy like that. He's a, he's a jerk, you know? And I'll never forget, somebody said, he doesn't deserve it. And Vicki looked at him and said, I don't deserve salvation either. And, you know, the, the bottom line is, is, is we need to take the high road. There's a lot of things that are going to come your way that in the natural, as you look at it, you can say, they don't deserve that. That's coming from a heart of bitterness and resentment from the past. And God's wanting to present you with an opportunity. We don't deserve all the things he gives us. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We... If I, if I went by what I deserved, I'd be, I'd be dust. But take the high road. Don't, don't go by what people deserve. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to take the high road. Now, it, it doesn't always work that way. Please don't misunderstand me. But this time it did, and it's just a great illustration of God's, the Father's love for us, even when we don't deserve it. Number eight, don't justify your hatred and bitterness. Don't just, it's amazing how people can justify the bitterness they have in their heart. Well, you don't understand. This is different. This is, no, it's not. It's the same. It's just you. And you're the one dealing with it. And so just, you know, don't justify it. Deal with it. Don't justify it. Repent of it. Don't justify it. Ask God to help you. Forgive. Don't justify it. Because once you justify it, it's not going to ever go away. You're going to just get deeper and deeper and deeper, and you're going to find yourself in situations where you are affected by something that happened 50 years ago and still holding on to you. Number nine, bless those who persecute you. Go out of your way to try and find some ways to bless people even though they've offended and hurt you. Kind word, kind gesture, a note, an email, a text, something that says, you know what, you may have done that, but I, I'm not holding it against you. I don't have any record of wrong here. And I just want you to know I love you and care about you. I was thinking about you today, so I thought I'd send it, whatever. 
Find some way, some way to do that. And last but not least, forgive people when they fail you. Forgive people when they fail you. And when you stand praying, Mark says, Mark 11, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Your sins. Now, you may have all kinds of things that you've got hidden in your heart from your past, like the video said. As the worship team comes, I want to challenge you to clean your tanks out, to purge your tanks, take the trash out today. I, you've, you may have all kinds of things. Some of you heard my story about when I was a child, how I was in and out of foster care a lot for about four years, in and out, in and out, in and out, and not one of those experiences was a good experience. And it was always hurt and deception, bitterness, anger, you know, neglect. And um, in some cases, abuse. And in one house, my brother, my brother and I were molested. And, um, and uh, we had decided as young boys, we were going, when we became adults, we were going to find this guy who molested us and take him out. He used a baseball bat on us, and we were going to use a baseball bat on him. Several years ago, as one of our trips home, we actually was driving around, my brother and I, looking at, you know, past homes and remember, sort of reminiscing about our life as kids and so on and so forth. And this one time that we looked at the house where we were living when we were shipped off in foster care and remembered the incident and sort of the, you know, the pledge we'd made to one another that we were going to get even. My brother was in NSA. He was in the military and knew how to track him down if he wanted. And I'll never forget my brother said, I can find him if you want to, you want to follow through on that. And for a second, I just felt like, do it. Let's get even. And then I realized I'd been carrying that, that bitterness towards that person all these years. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, now's the time, now's the time, now's the time. It's time to let it go. It's time to get that off your back. It's time to forgive that young man. I went through a series in a period of time for a few weeks of walking it out with the Holy Spirit and came to a point of absolute forgiveness. And I felt like a thousand pound weight came off my shoulders that day. I'd been carrying around that, that bitterness and that hurt around for all these years. Here I am a pastor <laughs> and ready to take a guy out with a baseball bat and beat him to death. That's how bad things can happen inside of us. They fester. Let it build. We get so angry. And we, we, we react and we act out to things that have nothing to do with that. But because we're so angry inside, we find ourselves, you know, caught from living in the past. Now, I want to challenge each of us today, not just me and a few, but every one of us to some degree has something. Can we stand together and just allow the Holy Spirit I'm asking the Holy Spirit to touch your lives. 
and expose things that have hurt you, things that have happened to you, perhaps even things that you have done to others that is still there and it, you've, you've gotten bitter and resentful because of it. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come now. Let's bow our heads and show us those areas of our lives that have gotten in our hearts and it's caused us to be angry and bitter and have malice towards others and feel like we have a short fuse because something is said or done, it just sets us off because of some of the things that are in there. Today, if you know in your heart, based on what I've been sharing, there's something there that you need to just let go and repent of, would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Oh, all over the place. God bless you, almost every person. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Lord, you see, you see each hand up in the air, and you know what that means, what that represents, what they're going through. God, I, I break the power of the enemy in Jesus' name. I terminate every single assignment from hell on your kids' lives. And I say, go free in Jesus' name. God, I, we pray for a purging of our hearts today. We pray, God, for cleansing our hearts of the past. No matter what it is, how big or small, whether it's mousetrap stuff or this big conibear trap stuff, whatever it is, God, we repent. We ask for your forgiveness. We forgive others as we've been forgiven. We just repent, God, for holding on to stuff. And we ask you to help break the pattern of bitterness and resentment in our lives. Would you do that, Lord? You said you would. Lord, we just receive that now in the name of Jesus. If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin 53744.